So tonight I want to ask you all a question. What makes a good gift? No, seriously, that's not a rhetorical question. It's Christmas tomorrow and my wife is expecting something under the tree. <laughs> no, no, she, she's covered. But, but seriously, what does make a good gift? Is it the amount of money that's spent on it? Does a good gift come from certain stores with certain brand names attached to it? Is a good gift one that's completely practical? Because that the upper right is what I got her last year. Or upper left, I guess. The vacuum. Or is a good gift exactly what someone asked for? <laughs> or is a really good gift one that a lot of thought was put into? Thought about the person that was receiving it and what the message of that gift would communicate. You know, this is one of the most wonderful times of the year, and it's Christmas, and folks are waiting with anticipation to see what gifts we're going to get. We all have presents wrapped in beautiful wrapping paper, decorated with bows and tinsels and ribbons. And the sad part is, they look so great that there's almost a little bit of a letdown once you've unwrapped them all, isn't there? Not because you didn't get what you wanted, but because there's something almost magical about unwrapping those boxes in anticipation of what lies beneath the bow. But you know, for probably for most of us, if I were to ask you individually, couldn't remember exactly everything that you got last year for Christmas or what gifts you unwrapped. But tonight, I want all of us to know that there is a gift that we can unwrap every day of our lives. In fact, it's a gift that takes a lifetime to unwrap. It is the unearned, undeserved, unexpected gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus was born that night in Bethlehem, it was just the beginning of the gift unwrapping. As he came wrapped in swaddling clothes as a gift for all of us. Not to cherish and enjoy for just one day, but every day of our lives on this earth and for eternity in heaven. Because if you and I are in Christ, every day that we wake up, we get to unwrap another part of the gift of eternal life that God has prepared for us. 1 Corinthians tells us, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those that love him. And I don't know about you, but when I think I've unwrapped all that I can from God, just like that last Christmas present on Christmas Day, God blows me away and allows me to unwrap a little bit more of his wonderful gift of salvation and his amazing plan for my life. But to do that, to do that, you have to receive it first. And tonight, God has a gift for each and every person in this room. Wrapped not in a bright ribbon or with fancy paper, but in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's the gift of his son, and it's for you. But you've got to receive it. And you have to receive it personally. Because even though it is the greatest gift of all time, a gift of indescribable value, believe it or not, there are a lot of folks out there that don't want it. And even though there's nothing more desirable than knowing Christ, most people just can't see it because they won't open their eyes. They look into the manger and they don't see a king. They don't see the savior of the world. They don't see the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. All they see is a little baby. And so they pass by the child in the manger and seek after presents instead of the presence of our Savior, the Savior born to die that we could live forever. With him, 
That's why he came. That's the real meaning of Christmas. Have you received that gift? Because you can never truly enjoy Christmas until you see God the Father in the face of Jesus Christ and take hold of the brand new heart he wants to give you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Have you done that? You might have heard the words of Christina Rossetti. She wrote, what shall I give him poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I'd do my part. What shall I give him? I'd give him my heart. And those are beautiful words, aren't they? And they're actually the inspiration for a live illustration we want to share with you tonight. It's a little story called The Miracle of the Bells. The story goes that centuries ago, just prior to the Protestant Reformation, there was a village church nestled in the foothills of a great mountain in Central Europe. One corner of the church was a great bell tower that rose toward the sky. The local people were proud of their church, and they were proud of the four bells that hung in its belfry. Bells of four different sizes. And they had hung there ever since the church had been built. And when they rang all at the same time, the sound was so beautiful and pleasant to the ears that no one who ever heard it denied it was the sweetest music in the world. So sweet that people came from miles around to hear the bells in that tall tower, especially on Christmas Eve. But sadly, one year the bells stopped ringing. The church steward could pull on the bell rope, but nothing happened. And all the townsfolks missed the beautiful sound, but the region had fallen on hard times, and the townspeople had difficulty just keeping the church open, let alone fixing those bells. As years passed, though, the villagers never stopped longing to hear the sweet music again, and a legend sprang up. The legend that the bells would only ring again when the right gift was presented to the Lord on a Christmas Eve. From then on, each December, the locals crowded around the altar, each one trying to bring some better gift than the other. And the church would be packed with those who thought that perhaps those wonderful bells might be heard again. And although the service was always splendid, the offerings always plenty, only the roar of the wind could be heard far up in that stone tower. But now it's Christmas Eve again. The altar's decorated for the service. The beautiful creche has been lovingly set out on red linen cloth with sprigs of holly and pine placed around the edges. The whole sanctuary looked festive and beautiful. It's adorned with poinsettias and angels and candles and a Christmas tree that almost touches the rafters. And the townspeople begin to arrive singing, Oh, come all you faithful. So let's join in and sing with them.
people from the village are gathered and each one anticipating that tonight might be the night. The night that the bells would miraculously ring again. Tonight the town's baker is the first to present her offering. She's known by all the townspeople who depended on her shop, especially at harvest time when they were too busy working in the fields to bake for themselves. She brought the best gift that she could think of. But she never stopped to realize that she was standing now in the very presence of the bread of life. Now the local carpenter approaches with the gift of a small stool, something that a a child might like to sit on or that an adult might like to prop their feet up on. The carpenter was so proud of his handiwork and proud of the sturdy homes that he built for the village. But he never stopped to consider the scripture that says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me, says the Lord? Where will God's resting place be? Next, the village potter walks carefully down the aisle with a fine piece of earthenware. It was her own unique design, and when the clay was soft and pliable, she had molded it and formed it with her own two hands. But the same can't be said of her heart because she refused to surrender to the God who said, like clay in the hand of a potter, so are you in my hands, O people of God. Now the seamstress makes her way to the front, carrying a a fine-looking quilt that she's made. She saves the scraps of fabric from the shirts and from the dresses that she makes and fashions them into warm bedding to keep out the cold. She always has such a pleasant smile on her face that no one ever realizes her life is broken in more pieces than it took to create that beautiful quilt. If only she would ask to be clothed in garments of righteousness and arrayed in robes of God's salvation. And now here comes the the silversmith. He makes knives and forks and spoons and ladles. And because this is a poor village, most of the Townsfolk ask for pewter items instead of the costlier metal, but tonight he's outdone himself and made a work of pure silver. And he thought, with such a precious gift, those bells are sure to ring. But on the inside, the soul of this man was as cold and hard as the metal with which he worked. And as he placed his gift in the front of the church, a hush fell over the congregation as they waited to see if the ancient tower above them would ring tonight. But just like every other year, no sound answered back. But wait a minute, here here comes a a young boy headed to the altar. Looks like he's coming empty-handed, though. He doesn't seem to have anything to offer, but he's still coming. And What's he doing? He looks like he's holding open his jacket, and I think I can hear singing.
And now all the people knew. They finally realized that God is not interested in our material gifts or our attempts at works of righteousness. All the things that man has attempted fall short of the glory of God. And all the offerings in the world will never ring the bells of heaven. But the Bible says that there is joy in the presence of the angels over one lost sinner who repents. John chapter 1 says, But to all who believe in him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human, made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. That's the message of this holy night, salvation through Jesus Christ. Not the result of any kind of work on our part, but of free grace. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing that we have that can pay for it. The only choice you have is to maybe foolishly refuse to take it. But before you do that, I want to remind you that although this gift is free, it is not cheap. It costs God the death of his one and only son for us. A death we commemorate every time we partake of this Lord's table laid out before us. Every time we smell the fresh bread and taste the wine. Every time we feel the touch of another person's hand as the trays are passed. Every time we see the table and hear the words of institution being repeated. This ultimate expression of worship that touches all of our senses. Because when we as Christians proclaim the incarnation, we proclaim the gift of a God who comes so conspicuously close to his creation. At this table. A place where, like the manger in Bethlehem or the cross of Calvary, where we're welcome, summoned even, summoned to come forward just as we are. The poor to a benevolent giver, the sick to a physician, the sinful to the author of righteousness, and children to the father of life. And tonight, Christ calls all that will hear to his table to commune with him and the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us to this glorious but intimate table. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the gift of this holy night and ask you to make us watchful and keep us faithful as we await the coming of your Son, our Lord, that when he comes, Lord, he won't find us sleeping in sin, but active in his service and joyful in worship. And gracious God, remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.